0: Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law
1: professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane
0: Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, That show that just can't seem to keep up with the movie release calendar, especially when so many films drop in the final weeks of the year. Anyway, we're trying to catch up, which is why we'll be discussing three films this week, beginning with Poor Things, Yorgos Lanthimos's bizarre look at a woman's Frankenstein-type transformation, continuing with Ferrari, Michael Mann's study of a period in the carmaker Enzo Ferrari's life, and culminating with Fallen Leaves, Finnish filmmaker Aki Kaurismäki's study of two lonely residents of Helsinki struggling to find each other. Let's begin with a movie that was just rewarded with two Golden Globe Awards. One for Emma Stone as Best Performance by a Female Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and the other for the film itself, Poor Things, as Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. If you've seen any of Lanthimos' other films, particularly The Lobster or The Killing of a Sacred Deer, you know pretty much what to expect, something that doesn't remotely conform to normality. Poor Things continues the trend being a kind of Frankenstein meets My Fair Lady project. Golden Globe winner Stone stars as Bella Baxter, a woman who has been, we discover, reanimated or revived or renewed, however you want to describe it, by Dr. Godwin Baxter played by William Defoe. Progressing from basic infancy through the various stages of life, toddlerhood, teen rebelliousness, young adult angst and finally confirmed self-definition, Bella becomes a contemporary woman, even if the steampunk world in which she lives looks more like the 19th century. With production design that is Oscar-worthy and a brave and complex performance by Stone, brave being what we call any actor who is willing to perform full frontal nudity, Poor Things is one of 2023's strangest productions, and it is never anything but fascinating to watch. I mean, I don't want to say that this movie isn't strange, but I don't
2: know how strange it really is if it's winning Golden Globe Awards because they're not exactly you know, <laughs> the, uh, edge. the least mainstream awards body out there. But I was happy to see especially Emma Stone rewarded for this performance because it is really a treat to watch her because it's such a physical performance in so many ways. And the fact that she's able to not only... Make it funny, but moving is a feat unto itself. And looking back at Yorgos Lanthimos's career, I've been a fan of this guy for a long time. And I think beyond the stylistic devices that he keeps coming back to, the fisheye lenses and mm-hmm. the uncomfortable <laughs> black and white. Yeah, the uncomfortably close camera and the weird anachronisms that pop up in his films, I think if you were to kind of come up with a unifying theme, it's that he makes movies about how. Truly singularly strange it is to be a human being and he kind of has this deadpan approach to all of these things that are just sort of facts of our daily lives and he kind of looks at them from a strange angle. So you go back to one of his first movies Alps, which was about this troop of actors that pretended to be recently deceased relatives to kind of help people through the grieving process. Or Dogtooth, which was his big breakthrough, which was about these kids that were raised in this hermetically sealed environment. And even The Lobster, which is this allegory about strange courtship and dating rituals. And this movie, Poor Things, is kind of about all of those things. And really what it is, is it kind of takes that old phrase of, and God created woman, and then it follows that to its most logical conclusion, which is, woman comes into her own and realizes that she doesn't need God or man. And Mm -hmm. I use the term God because that is what she refers to Willem Dafoe by that nickname, Godwin Baxter. She calls him God. And of course, that's sort of a tongue in cheek joke. But I really like this movie. I put it on my top 10 list for 2023. I just really admired how completely it commits to its own bits. I mean, It is sort of this picaresque odyssey, but it's also, as you kind of alluded to, sort of an X-rated cartoon at the same time. But it's a story about ultimately empowerment and about bodily autonomy in a really fresh way, I think. I mean, how many different interpretations of Frankenstein have we seen? Mm -hmm. And this feels like a new one. I mean, it's taking the basic structure of Frankenstein and it's based on a novel by Alasdair Gray – And finding really funny, quirky ways of sort of turning that mythos inside out. So I can't wait to see this movie a second time. I've only seen it the once. But even just to drink in the visuals and just this weird, bustling world that he creates. Because Bella Baxter goes all over the place. She's in Lisbon at one point. She's on the deck of this bizarre cruise ship. And then you have all the stuff in the Victorian houses and surgery rooms and all of that. There's just a lot going on here. And I really
1: like sort of drinking it all in. I must say that I was dreading poor things because Uh we had seen the trailers for six months or something, and I was like, oh, no, this is going to be over the top and whatever. And it ended up on my top ten list as well because – the performance by Emma Stone is amazing. She won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a drama or a comedy. Comedy, in a yeah. Comedy, yes. But it really is her performance as well as the visuals, as you point out, Nathan, that make this work. And it's a really kind of smart feminist yeah. take on being a woman in the world. And, you know, there's a whole portion where she decides by choice, chance, or circumstance, let's put it that way, that she's going to become involved in sex work. Mm -hmm. But of course, she makes it her own thing. And she's constantly fascinated as she's growing. I mean, we see her go through these growing pains, which is interesting to see an adult person in an adult body go through these stages of development. But the way she phrases things are so funny. And we just get a kick out of her. And then the supporting performances, you know, Willem Dafoe is always going to be good, excellent, serviceable. However you want to characterize his performances throughout his long career. And I really liked Mark Ruffalo in this. He's I'm really not a, funny. And I'm not a huge Ruffalo fan. So, yeah, I was just completely surprised by this film and how rich and multi layered Poor Things
0: is. Yeah, you know, I want to stress that two things, basically, about Poor Things. One is, which I've already said, this movie should walk away with the Oscar for production design, however you want to see it. It is so incredible. And, you know, the point I was making about Strange is when you've got— A creature that just walks by without any explanation that's half chicken, half pig. (laughs) You know, I mean, things are pretty weird. I don't want to say the movie isn't weird. (laughs) Oh, no. No, no. I think it's more approachable
2: than people probably think it's going to be.
0: Well, yeah, because he doesn't stress the weirdness. It's just part of the the landscape. The point I want to make about the message of poor things, if there is a message, is that so many times we see filmmakers who... Where their attitudes and their themes and their tones and whatever they're trying to say on their sleeves virtually. In this case, the message that I took away from Poor Things is this made me one of the most feminist movies I've ever seen. But it doesn't make it obvious. It just simply is part of the story. It's the growth of this woman. And, you know, it's kind of the counterpoint to in Barbie when Ken goes, <laughs> I lost interest in the patriarchy when I found out it wasn't about horses. This weirdly it weirdly has a lot it, in it, common. It sure, with it sure does. Yeah. But I prefer this movie to Barbie, actually. I like be, them both. Yeah. Just simply because For so many reasons. And Emma Stone, you know, when she came on the scene a few years ago, I thought, well, you know, I don't know how much of a future this woman has to have. And she may now be another one of those two-time Oscar winners. Maybe. she is so good in uh, Poor Things. I also
2: think about the character of Bella Baxter, who we get to see grow up literally in some ways because she does have the intellect of a baby at the beginning of the film and then is her own woman by the end. I was thinking a lot about the Hal Ashby film being there with mm-hmm. uh, Chauncey Gardner. Yeah, that's right. uh, Boy, sort that's
1: of, a throwback, well, Nathan.
2: Sort of, well, it's one of my favorite movies, but Chance it's you know, Gardner, uh, yes. one of these kind of childlike recluses who ends up rubbing elbows with the elite and Mm -hmm. these kind of naive observations he makes are twisted into these grand pronunciations about the way that things work and there's some of that in poor things as well because bella doesn't have a grasp of traditional stiff upper lip british social cues and so she's just saying what she thinks and it's actually treated as refreshing by Mm -hmm. these these people that are around her and other supporting characters that kind of come in and make an impression and then leave you've got gerard carmichael in there rami youssef Hannah Shagula from the Fassbender films. Maria Braun herself from Marriage of Maria Braun is in there. And then Christopher Abbott shows up out of nowhere near the end. Catherine Hunter, who played the witches in uh, Joel Cohen's Macbeth, is really good as the madam at the brothel. There's lots of
1: fun little supporting characters. In I the agree. At the Although I, I wasn't really sure what the Jared Carmichael— character was supposed to do. I don't think he's much of an actor. But apart from that, I mean, it's told in different vignettes as she moves Mm -hmm. through her life. And I thought the ship one, although it was fascinating, I thought that might have been the weakest segment in some ways.
0: Yeah. The final point I want to make about poor things is that I think this movie is going to leave some viewers cold. And two, there's a lot of sex, a lot of nudity in this film. So don't take your children. Well, that's how Lanthimos works. Yes. Yeah, right. And that was our discussion of poor things. This is Movies 101, and it's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcasts and Movies 101 by going online at SpokanePublicRadio.org. While there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to talk about Ferrari and Fallen Leaves. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Spokane Public Radio listener line. I'm remembering when you first started. I was working in a Spokane Peace and Justice Center. We were talking about this new public radio, and wasn't it great that public radio was coming to Spokane? And I've always been appreciative of public radio ever since. And I'm just so grateful for public radio. Thank you so much. 509-232-6904. we're back. This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbinder, and I discuss Yorgos Lanthimos's film Poor Things. Let's now move to two other late releases, Michael Mann's Ferrari and Aki Karzmaki's Fallen Leaves. Let's begin by turning the clock back to 1957. That was the year that the legendary Italian car maker Enzo Ferrari faced ruin, likely not for the only time, but the one that Michael Mann, following a script written by Troy Kennedy Martin and Brock Yates, focuses on to give us a look both into Ferrari's private and public life. The public part involves his company's financial troubles, with his spending so much on racing that car sales couldn't balance the books. The irony is that racing, namely winning the Mille Miglia cross-country race, is seen as the answer, at least partly because the solution, too, is to forge a partnership, perhaps with America's Ford company. But to do so, Ferrari has to face the problems of his private life, which involve his wife and business partner, Laura, played so well by Penelope Cruz, and his mistress, Lena, played by Shailene Woodley. Adam Driver is as good here as he was playing another Italian celebrity, Maurizio Gucci, in Ridley Scott's 2021 film House of Gucci, which is to say very. But the real star is director Mann, whose camera work is as astute at capturing intimate love scenes as it is at putting us in the middle of a race in which the specter of death is only a missed gear shift or a blown tire away. I
1: don't know how to start talking about this movie because there are so many good things about Ferrari and so many things that left me saying, why? Why are we watching this? Why was this made? (laughs) And I'm sure I'll get some pushback from my colleagues on the show who are bigger Michael Mann fans than I am. But it tries to capture the sort of expertise and what Ferrari brought to the auto world. But what he brought, as I perceive it is, first of all, a love of cars, a love of fast cars. And he was a driver, played by Adam Driver. He was (laughs) a driver himself back in the day. But I think his real expertise was sort of his way to reconfigure The technical aspects of car engines and so forth, and it's hard to capture that. I mean, they do their best in terms of having him explain how cars work to his son, having him talk technical stuff to his staff and so forth. But as a character, I'm not sure that this movie works in terms of capturing because it flips back and forth between his home life with his erstwhile wife, played by Penelope Cruz, And his love played by Shailene Woodley, who is living in a country home, apparently unbeknownst to his wife, which seems almost impossible because the wife, Lara, is certainly a savvy business person in her own right. And apparently it was well known throughout the entire Modena area that he had this mistress. But it flips back and forth between his professional life and his personal life. And I'm not sure that they got the mix exactly right because the Shailene Woodley character is nothing. I mean, she's basically a zero as far as I'm concerned. And of course, if you had to play opposite Penelope Cruz, who they try as best as possible to make look plain and ordinary. Which <laughs> Impossible. Is right. Yeah. Which cannot Impossible. be done. But she goes back and forth because she loves Ferrari. But at the same time, she is frustrated by him to the point where she shoots off a gun. And then we have Mama, which actually, she was my favorite character in the film. But I want you both to tell me what it is that resonated for you about this film, because it just didn't quite work for me. And you forgot to mention that they're
2: sort of like collectively grieving their son, who has died as well. And that, of course, has put, you know, another layer on their already strained relationship. And I'm less interested in... Enzo Ferrari as a character than I am in Enzo Ferrari as another piece in the Michael Mann puzzle, because I think that he fits in right along with these other sort of exacting technical men that he loves to make movies about. I just so happened to rewatch Heat, about a month ago just right before Ferrari came out and I was kind of tickled to see how many weird overlaps there were because these are both movies about men on a mission and a man who's worried he's past his prime and how the turmoil of his personal life is affecting his focus on the big mission that he's got coming up instead of a heist here it's a big auto race and so I I liked that and you know Man is one of the most technical filmmakers there is, not just in terms of his exacting style, but in terms of how he, as you mentioned, brings process and technique into the narrative. So this movie is as much about the details of how the cars run, how the race is set up, the technique required to drive the cars. So I found all of that interesting. I agree with you about Penelope Cruz. I think she's the best thing in the movie. Shailene Woodley miscast. I don't know. What was going on with that performance, but it seems like it's out of a total. I think Aaron
0: Rodgers called up and said, Hey, could you cast my former girlfriend? Yeah, maybe. At any rate, I have to say something. Go ahead. Uh,
1: the one thing I did want to call out Patrick Dempsey of Grays and Maddemy fame, because in the film, he's an actual car driver himself.
0: And that was our discussion of Ferrari. Let's now turn to Fallen Leaves. Finnish writer-director Aki Kaurismaki tells the story of a woman named Anna, played by Alma Poisti, and a man named Holapa, played by Jussi Vatanen, who meet, lose contact, meet again, and split up before, well, let's just say that, as in so many past films, love tends to find a way. Kaurismaki has a patient, largely solemn way of telling a story, with moments of joy coming as infrequently as one of Anna's smiles. But never worry, he does have a heart. Poisty in particular is getting raves for her performance here and in another of 2023's critically acclaimed films In Our Time. And did I mention that Anna's life begins to look up when she adopts a stray dog? Who can resist that?
2: I did love The Dog. And honestly, it's a good dog year for movies because we also had The Dog in Anatomy of a Fall. And both of these movies were up for The Palm Dor at Cannes, Anatomy of a Fall, and Fallen Leaves. And this sort of won the Grand Prix, which is second place. I'm a little befuddled by the unanimous acclaim for this, even though I did like Fallen Leaves. It has such a unique spell that it casts over you if you're willing to go along with it. But, I mean, it's one of those movies where... Everybody is deadpan. Everybody is kind of on the same mumbly level. The shots are very exactingly composed. It's really sad people and sad looking environments. In fact, I thought that maybe it was set sometime in the 70s or 80s. And then at some point, they're in the local watering hole. And there's one of those digital jukeboxes on the wall. And it's like, oh, okay, so this is set sometime in present day. I also thought a lot about Jim Jarmusch because it has that kind of style to it. And then, yes. And then apparently the couple, they're friends. Well, and the couple goes to see a Jim Jarmusch movie that yeah, yeah. don't die, which also stars Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why they picked that movie because it's a stupid movie. But Roy Anderson too, the director was another guy that popped in my mind. I've seen a couple of oh, his, the Swedish yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, I've seen a couple other Korizmaki films so long ago that I don't quite remember them. So I can't compare this to his other work. But I did enjoy this just because it is sort of this offbeat, weirdly, disarmingly sweet film that does kind of have a streak of melancholy to it. It is sort of funny just how deadpan they are. I don't know. Maybe this is something that Yorgos Lanthimos might enjoy because his characters kind of talk in the same way. One
0: thing that we have to point out is the character of Anna. I mean, she is a woman who's facing kind of a downtrodden life, but she's never powerless I mean, you yeah. know, when she loses one job, she loses it on her own terms. Right. She finds another job. And she and loses it loses because it. she's doing what she thinks is the right thing Exactly. To do. I mean, there's a strength to her that you wouldn't think would yeah, be there. Yeah, that's a good point. And, yeah. and I, I the, love that. The
1: thing that I found intriguing about Fallen Leaves, it is a little movie. I yeah. mean, it's a small film. And it's uh, like an hour and 19 yeah, minutes short, or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It takes place in Helsinki, which, having visited there briefly, I mean, this could have been anywhere. And so it has this universal appeal in many ways because it's about working-class people Mm -hmm. with these fungible jobs who are trying to get meaning out of their life, trying to make connections with one another. There's this whole, like, sort of subtext of, like, alcohol and, you know, how that fills a void in people's lives and so forth. And these two people meet but you're not really sure if they're going to connect at any point. So I thought Fallen Leaves went in a direction that I wasn't entirely sure because it's a European film so we don't always have happy Hollywood endings. I wasn't sure what its trajectory was going to be but there were a lot of things to like about this movie. I mean it's a small film and you know it's a foreign language film but the performances were good I mean it is like seedy and gritty and but you have that feel. Yeah and even though it does have this deadpan, I keep using that word affect
2: there is as you said kind of a gritty realism to it because of the places and because of some of the underlying themes i also wanted to call out in our end of the year show we talked about musical moments in movies that we loved there's one in fallen leaves where this bar that they hang out in has a band and it's these two women one on a guitar and one on a keyboard and they're just kind of staring straight ahead and i looked them up they're called i'm going to get this wrong maustetiot which is Spice Girls in Finnish, which I think is great. <laughs> and they perform a song. Its title translates to Born in Sorrow and Clothed in Disappointment. And let me tell you, <laughs> look this song up. It is really good. I've had it stuck in my head. I wow. love the Finnish Spice Girls. Yeah, we, we
0: even forgot to mention the karaoke scenes in, yes, in, great. in yeah, Fallen yeah. And Leaves. Love that stuff. Yeah. At any rate, that was our discussion of Fallen Leaves, and this is Movies 101. I'm Dan Webster, and earlier in the show, Nathan Weinbin, or Pat Truthart, and I discussed Ferrari and Poor Things. Let's take this moment to thank Cassie Fox for both producing and engineering the show, and we thank you to our loyal listeners. We invite you back next week, same time, same spot on the radio dial, and we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer wherever we can find it. Until then, consider these words from the late, great Italian filmmaker Michelangelo Antonioni. Don't regard my characters as symbols of a determined society. See them as something that sparks a reaction within you so that they may become a personal experience. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio.
2: The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.